Hey there, and welcome to Creative License, where we dive into what makes creative people successful and immerse ourselves in that process. I'm your host, Alex Perlman. As an ESPN broadcaster, Mike Cousins is no stranger to the big moment. Maybe you've heard him narrate a buzzer beater. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor. Or listen to Mike bring you a game-changing home run. She gets a hold of this one, out to deep left field. She does it for a second straight day. A no-doubter off Katie Preble's bat, her 10th homer of the year, 3-1 South Carolina. These scenes are a joy and a reward for a play-by-play broadcaster. They're moments that you hope to see but rarely get. And they're ones you absolutely have to nail. Now, you might think that Mike puts on a headset right before a game starts and just goes to work. Eh, not so much. His preparation starts way before that point, with hours of research and collaboration from finding out a game assignment to signing off the air. It's how he's ready to take advantage of those moments. Over the next half hour plus, we'll learn how Mike does it and what keeps him coming back for more. So, Mike, you and I have known each other a a long time. We obviously do similar things, but everybody has a a different process to how they get to a specific point. Now, you've been with uh, with ESPN for a long time, right? And you've been kind of calling games and and trying to figure out what works best for you for for quite a while since college, right? Yeah, I, I remember distinctly preparing to do my first women's basketball game. That was my first play by play. Uh, as a matter of fact, you and I were together for each of our first games that actually aired on the radio uh, as we made the, the trip down from uh, Westchester County, New York to McDonough Gymnasium on the campus of Georgetown. Yeah, who could forget and, about that, right? Yeah, that was a trip. Um, and I remember I, I did everything for a long time, or at least what felt like a long time, by hand on legal size paper, because when you get into college now, I guess I should say when we got into college, the opportunities for sports casting were so so few compared to what they are now, where high schools have their own broadcasting programs. And the most journalism experience you probably could have had when we got into college in 2007 was really like writing for your school paper. And that's all that I had. So you just learn from the people who are already there in front of you at uh, your student radio station, which is what we did. So I put all my stuff on a legal size paper. I wrote it out with a ruler and a pen and Sharpies. And more or less, my my charts still look the same in terms of the way they're lined up. Um, but I realized that doing it with a ruler every time was a little bit too time consuming. Um, but I remember sitting in the kitchen of the house that you and I lived in together uh, our senior year and writing those things out at the at the kitchen table, which for some reason featured an office chair with wheels, um, which was probably the only piece of a furniture that we had available to us. Um, so that's the way it started. And I was very stat heavy at the beginning, which I think is true of a lot of us, because that's all the information that you have is how many points did a person score in the last game and what's their average. And so I was really focused on thinking that Going into a broadcast, I'm going to blow everybody away because I'm going to have the best number or the most timely statistic. And the reality is, as a listener or a viewer, nobody really cares about that stuff other than maybe the half second in which they hear it. And they go, 
oh, that's interesting. And then they go on with watching the rest of the game because that's the more interesting stuff. So as, as time has gone on and you become more well-sourced and you get to know people in whatever sport you're broadcasting, or if you're a team broadcaster, you get to know the players and coaches on your team better, you realize that it's much more about the human piece of it and the anecdotes and the stories that people have to tell than it is about the numbers. And so I think philosophically, that's been the biggest shift for me from when I started calling games maybe in uh, 2007, 2008 to now here 15 years later. It's been 15 years. Oh, my gosh. It's like half. Well, definitely. Life. Yeah, since since the start of college, not since we uh, we graduated. But yeah, since we kind of got into this, it has been. Um, so that that's a really good primer in terms of, you know, what you're kind of looking for and and how you prep. But let's get into the nitty gritty. The point of this is to kind of take someone through who has no idea about any of this from start to finish something in terms of a creative endeavor. So obviously calling a game or preparing for a game broadcast is a creative endeavor. You're you're really just creating something out of nothing. So from the very beginning, you receive an email. It says you're doing Florida State versus Pitt. Take me through it. Well, first, uh, I would hope that Pitt is having a better season than they have been in recent years because that would make it a more competitive game, but that's out of my control. So the first thing that I'm going to do is go to each team's respective website and take a look at, let's say it's, you know, game 12 of the season. So they've played a good chunk of the calendar already. We know who the leading scorers are. We know who the reserves are going to be. So I'm going through there and on my basketball chart, I can fit anywhere from 10 to 12 players on there. And and if a team is playing 12 players, that's a lot. Most teams, when they get into the heart of their season, will play somewhere from seven to nine players. And so, as I said before, I lay this out on legal size paper, which I um, started out doing it in Microsoft Publisher. And that was in college uh, because I had access to um, Windows computers. Now I use a Mac. And so they don't make they make several Microsoft programs for Mac, but they don't make publisher. So uh, me being the thrifty person that I am, uh, I found there's a, a suite of software called OpenOffice. And so it's all free. It's open source software. Uh, I can't explain it any further than that because I don't know about software, but they have a program called Draw which is basically the open source version of Publisher. So you get a template, you lay it out however you want. And so I created these boxes. And so you can envision my sheet at the top of this legal size paper, which is eight and a half by 14. And at the top, I probably go three inches down. And so there's a big header box where I put at the top of that sheet, Let's I'll type in, and I, I like to color code it too, just because when I look down at it during the game, my eyes sees the maroon of Florida State or the blue and gold of Pitt. And so that helps me just keep track of things a little bit better. So I'll type at the top, Florida State Seminoles, record of 12 and 10, comma, record five and three in the ACC. So that's off the top what I have there. Baseball and softball, I just do like a giant, messy Microsoft Word document. I've never come across a better way to do it, and that just works for me. So um, that's okay. And then um, NCAA wrestling, I do the NCAA championships, which involves 330 wrestlers. And that one, I also do a gigantic Word document separated by weight class. Um, and I keep the more um, successful wrestlers at the top, guys who are returning champions or All-Americans. Um, and that way for me, I have found is the easiest way to do it because I use the um, control or command F feature to find someone's name. So if I'm looking for Alex Perlman and he's in a, the 133 pound weight class and I'm at heavyweight, rather than scrolling up 50 pages, I'll just control F Perlman and it'll take me to that. So 
Again, it probably doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. It's a little bit of controlled chaos. Um, but all you need to have it work for is that when it comes time to bring it out on the air and have the relative information is that you're able to recall it in, in the quickest way possible. Well, you have to hope that Derek Perlman isn't uh, wrestling in the 145 pound class as well. And then uh, maybe you run into some issues there. Well, hopefully then uh, all I have to do is hit enter twice. And I get there, so. <laughs> That's true. Uh, There's uh, there, there probably yeah. aren't a lot of Perlman's there in NCAA <laughs> wrestling would be my uh, my best guess. All right. So so now we get further along. You've kind of got your stats in. You know who the key players are. And you, you've, I guess, been keeping up, I'm sure, with, with the teams as the season has gone on as well. What is the next step as we get closer and closer to game day? However, it's available. Sometimes it's via YouTube. Sometimes it's via Watch ESPN is to go back and watch the team's most recent game. Um, If it's a team I've never seen before, um, to have an understanding of what their style of play is. If it's a team that I am familiar with, just to be up on what has happened in a recent game. You know, whether there was an injury to see how it happened or if there was an interesting play that they ran or if there was a skirmish. Um, one, to be able to know about those things, but two, if we wanted to clip something like that to use in our next game as a small video package to, to get a grasp on those things. Um, so that's part of it. Um, then as we get closer to, uh, but you know, this, this can really be a process that starts even earlier, is to, it, it, most schools will do this, not all, but I love the ones that do, is they put together what's called the clips packet Um, which is all of the local newspaper coverage that the team has received that year to get a a grasp on. And I'll read it going all the way back to the beginning of the season. So let's say that coverage for a basketball team that starts playing in November really starts ramping up in mid-September. That's actually sometimes where some of the more interesting pieces are written that are more um, biographical pieces, feature stories of, of introducing you to that team. Because during the course of a season, a lot of the stories just end up being game stories. And here's what happened. And here's what somebody said after the game and blah, blah, blah. Now, sometimes those stories will be good on the back end because it'll tell you, hey, you know, in this series, they've now won 17 straight against this team. Or, you know, they need to stay within a game and a half of this other team to make the conference tournament. So there are sometimes good things there. But I think the most helpful things that I can read are stories about where did somebody come from or what obstacles have they overcome in their life or what are they like away from their sport of choice? Because I want to know who they are, not only as players and, and numbers, but as people too. And so I enjoy those things. For instance, one of the games that I did uh, in recent memory was at Virginia Tech and we were talking to uh, a basketball player for the Hokies who was a, a he had, he was going for his third degree overall. He had a master's, he had a an undergrad degree, and was going for a second undergraduate degree. And we talked to him about his meditation, and we actually saw him sitting right in front of our table in pregame warmups meditating. Um, and he had a huge play during the game, huge dunk, and he comes out from the dunk and is like, he's not smiling, he's not laughing, he's not like flexing his muscles. He's just like, all right, let's go to the next play. And so we were able to tie it all together with that of like, here's a guy who has practiced this of being in the moment and and not being too high or too low. And, and it came to fruition there. So it's trying to find out every little thing that we can and, and having as much information at your fingertips as possible. Mike, is that, is that just because that's something that you think a viewer is going to want to hear or learn about, or is there something or some things in your life that have like led you to being naturally inquisitive about other people? That's a great question because I have always wanted to 
talk to and get to know interesting people, which ostensibly might be the reason you've had me on this podcast. So I'm sorry to have misled you uh, in your guest booking, but um, it, I think it goes back. I blame the producer too. for that one. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to me. There was a program that I was involved with in high school through the YMCA called Youth in Government. And the only reason I joined it was because my sister was in it and she said it was cool. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll do that. It's something to do. And um, it, it really changed my life because it gave me the appreciation to know that I was a, I, I still consider myself to be the nerdy kid who was a freshman in high school then and was interested in how does how does the legislature work? How does the judicial branch work? How are bills crafted and passed through committee and passed in an assembly and, and through a Senate and all of those things that you know make up the backbone of our day to day life? But for most of us, we're fortunate to not have to think about how all of that stuff happens. Now, it, it's a very tame version in the in the YMCA version. There are no lobbyists and then no dark money. Um, so we did that in a, in a local sense through my high school club. We did that at the state level in Albany, New York. And then I was I was very fortunate for three of my four years to be selected to go to what's called the uh, Conference on National Affairs. And it takes place every summer in North Carolina at a retreat center. And so it's cool to do it and meet kids from around your state because I didn't travel a lot throughout New York State when I was growing up. So you meet kids from New York City, you meet kids from Homer, New York, who grow up in huge farm areas and from Rochester, New York and Buffalo. And then to go do it and say, hey, I've met kids. I, I was I, my senior year, I was elected the youth governor of New York State. So I met the governors from all the other states that sponsored the program, which I think is about 36. And so you have all these people who are fantastically accomplished in their high school careers. Like you, you are the big fish in a or big fish in a small pond and you step out and you realize like, oh, wow, like I'm not that impressive compared to all these other people. And you want to get to know them and what makes them tick. And and you feel cool. That was like the, one of the first times in my life I felt cool. I never felt cool in high school. But then being with the, the younger or, or the kids who were like me. Um, it, it, it gave me a sense of belonging. And so I just appreciate getting to know people who are really good at what they do and how they're good at it. You know, like to, to bring that kind of full circle, like I just read a couple of weeks ago, Dave Grohl's autobiography. And one, it was cool to see that, like, he just seems like a really normal dude. But why does he do what he does? He, he does it because it's fun, which is like, that's the reason that I do all of this is because it's fun to me to get to know people who are really good at what they do, to get to travel the country and to get to be courtside at some of the best venues in all of college sports. And so like, that's what the path that I followed. Like I never, I did not grow up from age six thinking I wanted to be a sportscaster. Youth and government actually made me think I wanted to be a lawyer for quite a long time. And I'm glad that I do what I do because it's not just the people who we meet who are the coaches and the athletes who are interesting, but it's also fans who you meet and sports information directors and athletic administrators, not to mention the people who are sitting next to us who are wildly accomplished in their lives. I got to work with Debbie Antonelli last week, who's just been elected to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, or to sit next to Len Elmore, who's like one of the best basketball players in the last 50 years to play in the ACC. And that's just to name two people. I mean, I could go on and on about that. Right, and you're you're talking about the the analyst. Yes, yes. Sorry, I I did not get to my base level explanation there. Um, But yeah, like people who played at the highest level, who have won world championships, and then are sitting next to me, who has comparatively zero athletic ability and we get to share the game together and I get to help them tell their stories. And 
when I ask a question, a lot of the times it's because I'm genuinely curious of my analyst. Why did this happen? Or what did you think of this? And the good part about the job is that helps the audience too. So while I'm learning, the audience is also learning. So for me, it's just like a lifelong exploration of what my curiosities are. And I think I probably Google some of the dumbest things out there, but it's just because when I see things, I want to know why they are that way. Like, why is the U.S. postal truck a little cube? Like, who decided that was going to be the design for it? I don't know, but I'll probably go look that up later today. Um, so that, that's really how I've gotten down this path is just curiosity, really. It's interesting, too, because that's that's a big reason I'm I'm starting to do this is just like a natural inquisitiveness to people. Obviously, we share the same the same passion in, in, in a lot of ways in the same occupation, but talking to, you know, different people, hopefully um, throughout uh, the, the episodes, you know, learning about things that I don't know anything about. And I feel like in order to do what we do, yes, it's about sports. Yes, it's about nailing a big call or, you know, being smooth on air. But if you don't have that necessary and crucial interest in humanity and in people i'm not sure that you know you can do this job to the fullest ability don't you agree to me the biggest crime as a broadcaster is to have a lack of curiosity and to be for lack of a better term just generic like sitting there and telling me hey this guy scored 17 points he averages 18 and you know he's from waukesha wisconsin great but like a robot could do that we're not far away from a robot doing that they can write game stories for the ap now um so that that and, and when young broadcasters ask like what's the best piece of advice i think it's just to be as curious as you possibly can and like that doesn't come naturally for everybody and that's okay but when we understand that our job is to share the stories of the people who we're covering and the excitement of it too, that's a big part of it also. Um, I think when I watch a broadcast, for me, the evaluation of a play-by-play -play announcer or an analyst is, are you teaching me something new that I didn't know? Am I walking away with something that I would say to somebody the next day, like, man, I was watching this game last night. You wouldn't believe the story that they told. Like, I had no idea about those things. So... If we take as an example, the imminent retirement of Mike Krzyzewski and all of these stories that are being told about him, which you wouldn't necessarily go back and reminisce on a guy who you didn't think was going to retire, but to hear stories about his childhood or what he's done to motivate his team. Like to me, that's the best kind of journalism is where you get to have a fuller sense of the person, because that's another aspect of what we do as well is that it can become easy to form what I guess now would be called like parasocial relationships where we see celebrities on TV or we read about them or we follow them on social media and we feel like we know them. We know 1% of what their lives are really like because, you know, there's the, the saying like never meet your heroes because, you know, it's happened in, in every industry where we think someone is this great person. Then it turns out they get arrested and sent to prison for 30 years for, you know, something you're like, oh, I never would have thought about that. So, you know, it's trying to illuminate these people, but also understanding like we will never fully know them because there's a relationship where uh, as a member of the media, they serve to gain from us portraying them in a positive light. So there are innumerable people who I've met who have been very nice to me, but other people have told me that person's terrible to me. And when I think of it in that way of they serve to benefit from me saying nice things about them on television, 
um, I have to remember that as well. So it's approaching things with a curious eye, but also most, perhaps more importantly, with a skeptical one as well to weed out what's true, what's not. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, th- that's a good way to put it. Socratic method uh, never hurts in, in really anything you're doing uh, in life and certainly in broadcasting. When you're having conversations with players and coaches before a game, how do those differ or do you treat them any differently? Sure, because from a, from a player, I want to know about the coach and you know what he or she is like. And I want to know what their interests are away from the game and what their aspirations are when they're done with college, because the majority, uh, the overwhelming majority of players in any sport will not go on to be professionals. And so what I want to know what your life is like outside of this, because, you know, even even a, a fan with a modicum of interest could tune in and know that Paolo Bancaro is one of the best players in the ACC and that he's going to be an NBA lottery pick. But what is he like away from the sport? And that's not something that everybody knows. And I hope to bring some type of new angle to the broadcast for that day. For the coach, sometimes the best question that I can ask is the most open-ended one. And that's just like, what's on your mind going into this game? Because I always try and have on my notepad two or three or four questions that, of things that I've noticed or, you know, why did you call timeout at this situation in the last game? Or why did you choose to have this person take the shot with the game on the line? Those are things that a player couldn't answer. Um, but sometimes the most open-ended one will lead the, have the coach lead you down a path that you would not have anticipated or had thought to ask about. So just by having the floor open for them can be very illuminating and and listening is is so crucial in that response in that in your response because if it was something that you didn't anticipate you would want to follow up on that and it could take you somewhere totally different so yes those two conversations are always going to be pretty different okay so now uh let's say you've you know you filled out the stats you filled out all the pertinent information you've read the clips you've talked to the coaches you've talked to players you finally get to the day of game which you know could be four or five days from the time that you started or even more you know there's a lot of we both know there's a lot of prep work that that goes into this but you know you're you're in game day and you're you're getting ready um to go on air what is that experience like and how how do you treat it do you have any rituals is it just every game is kind of the same or it 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 depends i light some sage and i make several laps around the arena to try and set the mood and you drink a certain type of tea (laughs) and a kombucha yes um i one of the things that i have learned about over the last several years is how much of a hmm i don't know what the right word for this is Is physiological the right word how broadcasting is a physiological thing like the body plays a big part in the performance of the voice so for sure there's no doubt your posture is important whether your limber is important um you know whether you are well rested or sleep deprived is important i remain in awe of Broadway performers who, you know, sing their hearts out multiple times a week, because if you don't pay attention to your breath and where you derive from where you derive your breath in a broadcast, you can very much be gassed after two hours. Or if you've really done it well, you could feel fine after two hours. And I didn't know that very early on. And I, and I wish I would have learned that sooner because I, I took uh, voice lessons from a woman who was 
uh, a trained actress, a theater actress. And she taught me about breathing through the diaphragm. This was maybe eight or nine years ago. And I still don't apply it to perfection every broadcast because you do have to think about where you're drawing your breath from and how you're pushing it out through your windpipe. Um, that when you hear somebody's voice crack, that's a perfect example of taking your voice from your throat versus using it from your diaphragm. But but what, um, what prompted that eight or nine years ago? What was the reason you decided to do that? A misguided notion that I could make my voice deeper than it is. Because as a, as a younger broadcaster, I thought that the only way I was going to be successful was if my voice sounded like this and I'm a, and I'm a big market broadcaster. Like you need to be, you know, like ha have some type of majestic Casey Kasem voice that everybody hears and they go, oh, it's beautiful. Well, you're like George Takei. Yeah. For one, you don't hear your voice the same way other people hear your voice. It's, a, it's simply impossible to do. So I, I don't, I don't love my voice. I don't. But uh, I also know that it's the only one that I have and I can't change it. Uh, I did not know that when I started taking these voice lessons because my plea to the instructor was, I wanna sound like I have this deep voice. And she goes, well, sorry to tell you, but you can't. But you can maximize that with which you're born. And that's by the way you draw in your breath and the way you push it out. Um, so that was, that was really illuminating for me because I spent the entirety of the 2011 baseball season, pretty much using like a fake deeper voice. And I would get off the air every day and my vocal cords would just kill me because I was driving my voice into the ground thinking that I needed to sound a certain way and I didn't. Um, and so that was really bad. So I, I will stretch before I get into uh, my professional costume of makeup and a suit. Um, and, and make sure that I feel good as the same way the athletes are going out there. But when I get to a venue, I, I, honestly, by the time I get to game day, I would like all of my preparation outside of the conversations I'm going to have with any coaches or players to be done. I would like to have it all in the rearview mirror because then I'm not stressed about catching up on anything. By the time I get to game A, I want to already be working on my preparation for game B. I want to be that far ahead. So that when I get to a venue two hours ahead of time, I'm able to, you know, have any impromptu conversations with, you know, somebody who I might encounter. Hey, I haven't seen you in five years or whatever, you know, like that kind of conversation and not be sitting there tethered to my chair worrying about, OK, I have to have this in the right place. And, you know, this pen needs to be over here and blah, blah, blah. I like to just be as loose as possible because that's a lot more fun. And I feel like I, I have a better show that way. How do you focus on game B for days leading up to game A and not forget what you're supposed to be talking about in game A before game B even occurs? There's definitely a concern sometimes that I might mention a player who's on a team in the next game while I'm calling a team that's currently in the game in front of me. Um, really, it comes down to I can't believe this is true, that I did not use a calendar until maybe like 2014. I was just winging it. What was I doing? I didn't even have a distinct way of organizing what was happening in my life. What a terrible way to go about living. And so I will put on my calendar for a day, hey, nine to noon, I'm going to prep for team one in game A. Noon to three, I'm going to prep for team one in game B. So really regimenting my time out that way and, and making sure that I stick to that schedule because that's the best way that for me, who is easily distracted, 
that I'm going to get things done. And so, um, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I would say maybe like 30 minutes before a game starts, I will look down at my charts in front of me and I will just read them over to make sure that anything that I've written in there, I'm going to remember. Um, and, and as we get closer to the game, especially out of those conversations, I will take my pen and write things in and my handwriting is terrible. So sometimes I can't even read my own handwriting and I don't want to get to the point in a game where I need that nugget. Yeah, and big I there. freaking read it. Yeah. So I, I will read those things over just to make sure that if there's something I might have put in there a week ago that I don't forget that I put it there. So now let's say, you know, a minute to air, you are basically at, at that point, not really doing anything right. Kind of silent, kind of focusing in. Nobody's really talking or pumping each other up. Maybe you'll say, you know, have a good show, something like that. But when you get to 10 seconds to air, what are you thinking about? How are you preparing yourself to like, once you're live, you're live and everybody can hear it. You say something that you didn't want to say. Everybody knows it. You know, there's there's an inherent amount of pressure to doing national television just from the time that you put your headset on and they say go. In most cases, uh, before a broadcast, the national anthem will play somewhere between three minutes to a minute before you go on the air. And in that time, I have started to, over the last several years, take it as a I'll say the national anthem lasts a minute, 15 seconds as a 75 second window of gratitude for where I am at that very moment. Sometimes it'll just be me reliving. You know, if I had, it's especially true if I had a harrowing travel experience to get there, if it was delays or, you know, your flight got diverted or whatever the case might be thinking about the moment I left my house, I drove to the airport. I got on this plane. It was hot. It was crowded. We got divert. We we're trying to go to Kansas City and we got diverted to Memphis. That happened to me last year. Um, and so like a seven hour travel day became a 15 hour travel day. But you know what? Thank goodness that I am here because this is if you had told 20 year old me that 33 year old me was doing any sport on national television, I probably would have just fainted and said, that's it. I've lived a good life. I'm done. And to have a moment of gratitude for where I am and, and to be thankful for that opportunity. And that's really all that I do. Last thing, uh, tell me a little bit about um, some of your creative passions outside of calling games, outside of your profession. I'm ashamed to say that I didn't really have any uh, probably until like last year. <laughs> the pandemic was a great time for reflection. And, and, then, and then you became a, uh, a trained and enthusiastic epidemiologist. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm now also an expert in international conflict as well. Um, I, I realized that I have always loved to make people laugh. I was I would have described myself in school as a bit of a class clown um, because I love to just make like one off jokes that even if I could make a teacher laugh, like would would really bring me joy. And I've never had a fear or a preoccupation about public speaking. I enjoyed getting up in front of the classroom to do presentations and those kind of things. So the thing that I haven't done yet that I would really like to do is stand-up comedy. Um, but the open mics are like 9 p.m. and that's usually like my bedtime. So I've got to figure out a, a, a more favorable open mic time to go to. But the thing that I did do was uh, improv. 
And it is a license to be anyone that you want to be. And that was really fun for me. First, because it was a way to step outside of sports because most of the people who I'm friends with from college are working in sports in some form or fashion. And all of my colleagues are obviously in sports. So, you know, it was with people who worked in real estate and accounting and a teacher. And they honestly don't care that I work in sports, which is also like great. Like we're all just who we are in that room. And so it was really fun. It was a way to one, humble myself because you're in a room full of other funny people. So if I think I'm funny, then I'm like, oh my gosh, actually compared to these people, I'm not. But you also can be anyone in any given scene and you just have to accept the moment as it is and be a really good listener because being a good listener and being accepting of your scene partner is that's the best version of improv that you can be is taking things wherever your partner goes with it. And so, so many people said to me, wow, I'm sure that's going to be great for broadcasting. That was never my goal getting into it. I didn't want to do it because I thought it would make me better at my job. Has it made me better? Yes, because it's, it's made me a better listener and not trying to steer a broadcast in a direction because I wanted to go there, even if it doesn't make sense, because it was something I had written down in front of me. But it might be a thought that my partner has, and I can follow up on that versus then saying, oh, well, here's something that I had. But it's also just great to like laugh and get into dumb and silly situations because at the core of me, like on the air, I look like a serious person because I'm wearing makeup and my hair is styled and I have a suit and a tie on. I am a deeply unserious person off the air. Yeah, can, and, can attest. Yes, you know that very well. We live together and, and we've stayed best of friends. You're in my wedding party and that's who I am really. So like I have to kind of buckle down when I'm on the air and, and be a little bit more serious about the game. <laughs> I will never take myself seriously on the air, but I will take the game seriously with the caveat in parentheses when it merits that. If the game is 90 to 12 in the fourth quarter, well, you know what? The next made basket is widely insignificant compared to the first. So we don't necessarily have to talk about things that pertain directly to the game. But if it's a, a one touchdown game with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'm not going to be making it Mike's comedy hour. So I'm really glad that I did that because uh, it was just fun and it was something totally different. Where if you had asked me over the last 10 years of my professional career, what do you like to do outside of broadcasting? Probably the first thing would have been nap and then the others would have been like read and ride my bike or take spin classes, whatever. During 2020, I rode my bike outdoors in like every park I could find. Um, but I think that was like a, a flaw as a human being that like I just didn't have a well-rounded sense of who I was. And I maybe that made me less interesting. I certainly feel more fulfilled that way when I left that um, you know classroom after uh, two hours every week. Um, and I want to do it more because it's fun. And I think that, uh, you know, like we talked about earlier with Dave Grohl, like, why do I do things? I do them because they're fun. And so um, it's, it's gotten me this far. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty far, I would say. Uh, and, and, and great advice. You know, it's awesome that you found something outside of work that is, is so fulfilling. And I think a lot of people could, uh, could benefit from that as well. Mike, this was enlightening, very interesting, and uh, hopefully for you listening as well, you learned a little bit about how a game goes from an assignment to a broadcast that you end up seeing on the air. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Creative License is created, hosted, podcasted, podcasted, obviously. Why don't we try that again? 
Creative License is created, hosted, produced, and edited by Alex Perlman with inspiration and guidance from Hannah Rosenthal. Graphic design by Carrie Lindgren. Our thanks once again to Mike Cousins for lending his insight and experiences this week. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Mike Cousins, spelled C-O-U-Z-E-N-S. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.